Praise the Lord. Wait for the clock to go off. If you want to. Mark 12, 30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the, the ability to know you, understand you better. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for this, this room that we have to come and, and enjoy some cool air while we praise your name. God, thank you for the ups and downs in this life. Uh, thank you for the, the love that we have in our community. And God, just, just thank you. Just stand and pray. Amen. Well, good morning. You know, I was sitting here thinking, if, if Arizona was in the Midwest right now, and we had one of these mornings where it's 80 degrees with no humidity, right this very second, I would have a whole bunch of young men coming through the atrium that had been fishing all morning, and they would all be guilty for being church late. If, if this weather was in Illinois, that's exactly what would be happening right now, but we look around and go, oh, it's still hot, it's 80, ugh. It's going to be hot today, Woo-hoo. 96. I'm glad we're inside. Hey, I'm, I'm really glad you're here. I'm glad you're here enjoying the air conditioner with me. If you're online and you're watching and you're, you're enjoying your air conditioner at home, that's good. Um, otherwise, you know, we, we came here to praise God, so let's get back to it. May be seated.
Well, good morning. Hey, I'm, I'm feeling really guilty. Uh, I, I was doing okay this morning, and then my wife came into the church, and she started making fun of me. And she said, look at those shoes you're wearing. And I've got my, my house slippers on because I, I cut my heel on coral, and it won't heal. And so every time I put leather shoes on, it makes my eyes water from the, the pain going out my body. And then I started, I was already feeling guilty because, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but there's this huge growing trend of preachers who are vintage shoe collectors. And they've been getting a lot of hate online because these preachers are wearing like four and $5,000 pairs of old sneakers on stage. And I feel bad that you guys don't get that from me. Because <laughs> I really hate spending money on shoes. That entire, so I'm... You guys, if that's gonna, if that's gonna you know, inhibit your ability to hear me, I, I apologize. If you guys can't listen because my shoes are too cheap, I'm sorry. Hey, <laughs> we're gonna be in the book of James. If you've been with us these last few weeks, this time we're gonna be in James chapter three. James chapter three. This is a, a large chunk of scripture, and so we're gonna have to kind of move through it, otherwise we're gonna get, we're gonna get slowed down here. Uh, we'll read parts of it, and we'll, we'll stop and go back and forth, so don't close it when you're done. James chapter 3, let's read verse 1 and a little bit down. Not many of you should become teachers, my brother, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. And we're going to stop there. And it's, it's a very simple uh, few words here, but it's easy to overlook. First, it's, it's our very first point. It's, it's a warning. There are very, very few passages that actually um, take the word teacher and they translate it master. And in our, in our society, whenever we hear the word master, we instantly think of slaves and, oh, that person's doing something bad. But in this context, you'll see that either the word teacher or you'll see the word master coming out. And it's simply an authority. So it's anyone who is a, with an authority within the church. That's what it's talking to. And I'm sure you guys know, but let me remind you, when James was written, James was written to people that had already basically known Jesus and James was written in a direction that was trying to help people that knew Jesus get a little deeper in Jesus. It's a maturity book. It's, it's a growth book. And so when we look at this passage, if we do not notice there is a warning, we're going to really mess ourselves up. See, this is a, a warning to believers. He's saying, be careful. Let's look at those words. I don't want to mess these words up. It says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And we hear that passage, we go, I don't want to teach at church. I'm sorry, that's, the, teaching is already rough enough. Uh, you have the, the problem of teaching, especially now. You know, could you imagine being a teacher? It'd be tough to be a teacher in schools now. They asked me to be a substitute, and I laughed. I said, no way. Can't get those kids off their cell phone. No way, I don't want to do that. But then you start hearing, if you're a teacher in church, God's going to judge you stricter. And you go, ooh, that doesn't sound like fun. So first, I got to stay up late Saturday being stressed out about what I'm going to talk about in church. I have to have all my, my material done, and then I have to worry about what, what any potential question could be asked of me. No, I don't want to teach. But what's interesting is James, right after, just before, just after he said this, he comes back and he says, for we all stumble in many ways. 
And see, that little, that little chunk of words there changes the entire direction of what he's talking about. So he's not just simply saying, hey, if you're a teacher, God's going to really, he's going to really come down on you hard. What he's saying is very simply, even if you're a teacher, God is not expecting you to be perfect. He's saying everyone stumbles in their own way. And what's funny about this is if you've been with us these last few weeks, and Jeff was talking about this last, last week, I think it was last week, there was things going on in the early church that James is directly addressing. They would come to a meal, and whoever had the best rings and the best jewelry and the best money, they were the ones who sat up front. And so God was, James was simply saying, God is going to look at the people, their authority, and they're going to be judged harsher, but God understands that you're not perfect. What that is, is this is a direct statement about hypocrisy. That's, that's all this is. James is not simply saying, if you're a teacher in the, in the church, you have to be perfect. What he's saying, it's clear, if you expect to be a teacher or an authority in church, you better not be a liar. You better not be a hypocrite. It would be like me if I sat on stage, and it's, it's easy to do, you pick out one of the temptations. What's, what's a temptation that's always picked on? My favorite. You know what my favorite temptation is? Smoking. Oh, I can pick on smoking all day long. Why? Because I don't smoke. But don't, don't talk about the temptation to go buy a new car or the temptation to find some really old junky piece of garbage car that I think I need to bring to my house and repair. I don't want to talk about that. So if I got on stage, it's, it, it's very, it's very uh, challenging it's not funny, it's true. <laughs> it's challenging. What, what James is saying, he's saying, you make sure that your life lines up with what you're talking about. It's not about perfection, but it's very clearly about being genuine and being who you are. Now, I, I know a few of you are readers, and, and we know that it was a few years ago, and there was this, this book, and I won't make fun of it too much, The Da Vinci Code. You guys remember that book came out? And see, Dan Brown basically wrote this book, and, and when he did it, he took this idea, and some of you have heard it, it's called the Council of Nicaea. And Dan Brown took this idea, and he said the Council of Nicaea and, and 325, um, they said Emperor Con Constantine got together the church authorities, and he said they took all the, the religious writings about Jesus at the time, and the Council of Nicaea divided up these, these writings, and that's how the Bible came about. That's what Dan Brown said in the Da Vinci Code. And, and really in the 18th century, if you guys know this too, here's your church history, Voltaire had a very similar writing. And, and what he said is he said the Council of Nicaea, when they got together, I gotta make sure I got my names proper here. They, they, the council got together, they put all the religious writings on a table and they bowed down and prayed. And then they waited, and for whatever books fell off the table, those were the fake ones. And whatever books stayed on top of the table, they were the real ones. And this is, this is a very common idea. And I, I won't, I won't, we're not going to be able to argue this because it was 325. So I know that the, during the Council of Nicaea, they were getting rid of some of the texts that weren't right. But really what, what we do here, and this is, this is super important for Christians today. You ready? Because we want to say, well, this is this and this is that. And that sounds right, but when we start dealing with this, it wasn't just eight men who got together and said, okay, we're going to pray about this, and whatever books fall off the table, that's our new Bible. That was not it. See, our Bible was formed from years. It took quite a while, because the problem is, the problem is, and if, if you're aware of this at all, there were these little movements in the church. 
there were these movements in the church, and, and they didn't have the internet, and they didn't have Facebook. So what would happen is as the gospel spread out, they had these small, I don't want to say a click because it sounds, you know, clickish, but they would have these small clicks, and they would go in different regions, and what started happening is in these different clicks, each of them started writing their own material. There was the gospel of Thomas, um, the shepherd of Hermas, the apocalypse of Peter, the epistle of Barnabas, and see, each of these, these groups started getting their own religious writings. And they were not. They were not God's word. They were not. They were categorically, they, they started opposing what was said in the gospel. They started changing direction. And so as the years went down, a, a lot of the stuff that we have in here, it didn't happen from one little council. It didn't. It came about when people said, that book right there, that is not, that is not proper. Jesus didn't abandon his wife and children and start ministry and, and when he was 30 years old. That is categorically wrong. And so I only say that because of this. See, then, this warning about teachers, see, then what it was is these, these religious writings be started becoming absolute facts and truth, and they started having problem, which is why several times throughout the years they would get rid of these books and say, no, that's, that, is not, that is not anything to do with Jesus. That's wrong. We don't have that today, but we do. See, let me tell you what we have today. See, then what it was is these small cliques were forming and they were developing their own branches of Jesus and they were doing their own things of Jesus. They had their own writings of Jesus. You know what we have today? And this is what, what James is talking about here. We don't have that. What we have is I think, I feel. That's what we have today. And James is, is very clear when he's talking about this. He's saying, not many of you should become teachers and brother, and um, <clears throat> not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we will be, what we teach will be judged with greater strictness. See, we had these people saying, I think and I feel. I think and I feel. And when you have someone in a position of authority in the church, and I'm gonna tell you right now, if you are talking to your friends or your family about Jesus, and you say, I've been going to church for 20 years, I love it there, you, you are fully aware in their eyes you're an authority of church, right? When you tell someone that you've been following Jesus Christ for 10, 15, 20 years, when they look at you, family, I'm sorry to tell you this, in their eyes, they look at you as an authority. You know what James is saying to you, doesn't he? You know and so what we have going on, and it happens all the time today, and James is warning us, when you have someone in authority, and they say, I think this about the Bible, or I feel this about the Bible, and someone hears you that they, and they respect you, pretty soon, think and feel becomes fact. That's, that's just the truth. If you say it long enough, oftentimes it starts to sound truer and truer and truer. And so James is warning the teachers and authorities in the church, that's true. But I, I believe he's warning believers. He's saying, hey, you know, whatever you're teaching, when you're talking to someone, you need to make sure what you're saying is correct. You need to make sure what you say is, is spot on and accurate. I'm going to tell you my favorite words. They didn't teach me this in Bible college. I'm going to tell you my, my favorite words I've ever learned in ministry. And, and you guys can use this. I won't, I won't charge you. There's no copyright here. Are you ready for it? That's a good question. I'm not sure the answer, let me get back to you. That's it. I probably say those words more. I bet that second to Jesus loves you. 
because I get some really random questions. And so it'd be easy for me to say, I think, or I feel, but if I say that long enough and someone says, well, he's an authority in the church, so whatever he's saying is right, my thinks and my feels become fact for a lot of people. So James's passage here really is, is a clear warning, and he's just simply saying this to believers. He's not trying to scare people, because he's right after he said no one's perfect. But what I think he's saying is, is very clear. Be careful when you speak. Be careful when you're teaching. Be careful when you're showing. Make sure that you're, you're on God's word. Make sure what you're explaining is truth. And if it's not, come back with the answer. That's okay. Saying, I'm not sure of that question. Let me get back with you. That is a great thing to say. And, and honestly, it, it makes you sound wise. It makes you sound like you're not a know-it-all. So let's move on. We'll start back in verse, man. All right, here we are. I think it's verse three. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships. Also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, straining the whole body, setting, our, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. We're going to stop there. The second one is, it's, it's easy. It's, it's simply a lack of control. <laughs> I had my wife help me with this. There's always sayings, and if you could think of one after church, you tell me. There's, there's sayings, and people say them. They're always, they fall into the very same category, and you'll hear it. Some people, they'll say these words. They'll say, I speak my mind. Or they'll say, I tell it like it is. Or someone else will say, I don't sugarcoat it. Or even better, when someone says the words, no offense, and then, but. Or they'll say, it's just how I am. Or it's just how I was raised. And you know, whatever's coming next is not pleasant. And it almost seems when you hear people use these words frequently, if this is you, I'm kind of sorry. I'm not fully sorry, but I'm, I'm kind of sorry. So if, if, this, if you fall into this category, I'm, I'm only kind of sorry. But it seems like frequently people that use these words are proud of what comes out of their mouth. They're proud of it. And they say, well, I hurt feelings, but it's just who I am. I'm like, no, it's not who you are. That's just rude. It's just rude. And this passage here, it's ironic, don't you think, the analogies that James uses in this passage? A horse, an incredibly strong animal, a boat, and a forest fire. Have you noticed almost all three of these things are a discussion of lack of control? That once it's loose, it's let loose. I had a friend I used to work with. He used to, uh, on, he had two jobs. He would work with me on some days and the rest of it, he worked on a gambling boat, one of the great big river boats. And he wanted to be a, the, the captain on a river boat. And he was training to be a captain because it apparently pays just absolutely phenomenal. 
And we were always talking about how difficult it was and how much of a challenge it was to bring that large boat into a dock against a different current. And he were talking about that, and he said all the new boats have these little jets that will, will go on the bottom of the boat, and it will, it will steer. Because he said just using the rudder is so difficult going against the current, trying to bring that large of a vessel into the dock. He said it's darn near impossible. And the ones that can do it are incredibly skilled. They've got thousands of hours bringing those boats in. And I think it's ironic that the three things he uses, a horse, a boat, and a fire, all three talks about the ability that something is let loose and you lose control of it. A forest fire? Come on, you guys, we're in forest fire capital down here. We know how it goes. Most forest fires here, and I, maybe I can't use the word most, but I think, I think most fires, there's a word, I think most fires are started, it's casual. It was an accident. The person didn't intend to start it, and you know why we know that most times? Because the person that started it tried to put it out, and then they lost control of it. Well, everything's dry out here. Once it sparks, it all goes. And I think it's ironic that all these, these things here are talking about is this ability to have no control. And I think, why is he talking about these three analogies with the tongue? Why? Because in the church, it's always the same thing. Something is said, and it's out of the mouth, and from then on, the person that said it is no longer in control of the words. It's done. The damage is done. The fire is going to run, run its course. The boat's going to run aground. The horse is running free. Whatever came out of their mouth is no longer in control of the individual that said it. There's a, a saying, and I, I know a lot of you, you soldiers and ex-military know this term, but I won't use the exact term. I'm going to allude to it. You know what it is. It, it's talking about the bad stuff rolls downhill. You know what that is. So when you have someone high up on the, on the, the totem pole of the command, they get angry, they yell at the person below them. That person goes, I got yelled at by my superior. I'm going to yell at the person below me. And it goes down like a stair, like a slinky. We know that saying, right? That's the church. That's what happens in the church. Someone says something. They say, I just speak my mind. They say it. It hits someone. That person's hurt. What do they do? They look around the person beside them. They lash out. Why? Because it's just like the fire. It's just like the boat. It's just like the horse. All three are discussions of things that we think we have control of, but we don't. We don't. See, an uncontrolled tongue, an uncontrolled tongue can cause so much problems in a church. Why? Because Jesus came and he said, I came to seek and, and heal the sick and the lost. You know what that means? It's quite clear. Family, we have a, a whole room full here of hurting people. All of us are hurting people. We all need Jesus. And it takes one person to come in here with their words and the things that come out of their mouth, and it causes damage. And we already go, we're already broken. We don't need that. We're already hurting. We don't need that. And then it just runs through a church. It just runs right through it like a forest fire. There's a, a book I've got in my office. It's called Firestorm, and they did a survey, and it was a, a minister-based survey and I know I've told you this before, but most ministers permanently leave ministry. Not the church, ministry. They quit their job. They quit preaching. They quit teaching. They're done. One family. That's it. Of the ministers that went through their four to eight to 12 years of Bible college, all the studying, all the preaching, all the working, they went through all of that. They quit because of one family. Do you know most people that leave the church leave the church because of one group. That's it. 
It's not that the whole body of believers gangs up on someone. It's one person or one family unit drives someone out of the church. And you know what's even more ironic about this statement is I would love to do a study and find out how many times the individual that caused the controversy even knows they caused it. Because I, I, I would really like to know, do you know the damage that you just did? See, most people, most people quit the church not because of God. Most people quit the church because of people. And some things we just, we can't fix everything. I, I'm not going to say that. So don't, don't act like I'm just up here lecturing and yelling and about, I'm not saying that because sometimes there's just nothing we can do. There's just sometimes things are going to happen. We, it's not our fault. But what I'm saying is there are, there are others that we could. There are others that if we just had control, if we just had control of our mouths and what came out of them, if we just had control, I don't think we'd have these problems. Because once the word is out of the mouth, and once that's loose, it's just like the forest fire that James is talking about. It's all about a lack of control. And so many times, people think that they have control, they don't. Because once it's out, there is no stopping. And I've, I've heard several times, people have been in my office, and they knew that there was, there was some drama, and they, they knew it was them. And they look, and they'll, they'll say these words, and they'll say, what can I do? And I say, nothing. Can't do anything. You just, you just can't do it. The words are out. Now we got to wait. We got to see what things do. And they'll say, how can I fix it? And I'll say, can't fix this. We teach this to our kids, and it's an awful, it's an awful saying. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And it might be one of the most idiotic statements we ever teach people. And it's so true. Is it sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me? Really? Is that true? Words in marriages. Words in friendships. Words in lives. We had this, this situation going on in our world, and I'm, I'm telling you, it's words. It's not actions. It's words. Words are ending lives. So, when we look at this, this is a warning to believers He's telling the believers, hey, grow up, get deeper in Jesus, and understand that your mouth is an incredibly, incredibly powerful tool. Incredibly strong. The three things he used to describe our mouth is incredible. A horse, a boat, and a fire. Those are three very, very strong things. All right, last one. <clears throat> We're going to skip on down just a hair this time. I think that's verse 8. It might not be. It's a small letter. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our, bless our Lord and Father. <clears throat> and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessings and cursings. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brother, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? And neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. That brings us to our very last point. We won't stay too long here, because I'm going to get in trouble, and someone's going to say, you're lecturing me. This last one, this last passage, is an indicator of health. 
you know, he's writing to believers, and he's writing, and all of a sudden he gives this description of, the, of things you can actually look at on yourself. What he's doing, he's giving you an indicator you can check yourself. He's saying, hey, a pond of fresh water does not have salt water. You know, a grapevine doesn't produce figs. A fig tree doesn't produce grapes. It's an indicator of help. Now, I know this doesn't make sense because uh, we're told over and over, we only use one scripture. People quote, um, don't judge, lest you be judged. We use that all the time, don't we? And we say it all the time, oh, you can't judge me. You can't judge me. What would Jesus say about that? Oh, you can't judge me. And I'm thinking, I think we take that passage directly way out of context. But see, this passage here is not necessarily about Christians looking at other Christians. You know what this is? This is Christians looking at yourself. So I can say this, and you can say, oh, well, Jesus isn't talking, Jesus in this passage, not Jesus, James is not talking about judging. He's not. He's talking about looking at yourself. And a lot of times, we can take this, and, and we can simply and easily disregard this entire passage. We can say, man, this doesn't really make sense to me. I'm good. I accepted Jesus. My sins are forgiven. I, my, my, I'm clean. I'm, I'm new. I've got an attorney promise. I don't need to look at this. And that's easy to do. It's easy to take this passage and say, this doesn't really apply to me. It's easy to look at this and say, no, it's too much work. And it's really easy to sit in a church and think, you know, the only reason they're talking about this on stage today is because probably someone said something rude to somebody, caused some problems, and now everyone's upset. And that's really not me. Or it'd be easy to say, you know, this passage, all it's talking about is keeping peace in the church, and the person on stage, all he really cares about is everything going smooth and making sure there's no dramas and no fights, and what's the point, right? Because it's easy to look at this passage and say, this passage applies to everyone else but me. But ironically, this passage is really only about you and God. See, it, it's so clear that James is simply talking about who you are. Who are you? Who are you as a believer? Who, is you, who are you as a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you, are you building people up or tearing people down? Or even better, are you building God up while you tear people down? This is talking about, as a believer, where your priorities are. Are your priorities within the church? Are your priorities on God? Are your, are your priorities on making sure that people are built up and strong? Are, are your priorities on yourself? Because all this passage is about two different things. The person that says what's on their mind that he's warning about, you know what that kind of person is? That's selfish. They've got something that they want to say. They've got a hurt. They've got, a, they've got anger. They've got whatever it is. They've got to get it off their chest. They want to say what they want to say. That's, it's a selfish move. And so what James is clearly saying is he's saying, what comes out of your mouth is an indicator of your health. That's it. Because someone that's, that's, really, that's really tied into Scripture a really good believer should look at this and say, you know what? What comes out of my mouth is not edifying and building to God. Why would I say it? A really mature believer would understand that sometimes when there's, you're really angry and you want to say something, sometimes if you just wait a day, you don't want to say it anymore. 
that need for vengeance and anger and revenge and whatever else it is, the need to hurt, a lot of times it diminishes with time. And so this passage here, this, this discussion of three things here, he's simply saying, how healthy are you? Where are you at in your spiritual walk? He's saying, because you can't be two things. You can't curse man and then say, I love God, because God made man, and man looks like God. He doesn't, that doesn't work. So what he's, it's, so, it's so clear here. The tongue and your control of it is an indicator of your spiritual health. It's an indicator of where your walk is. Are you strong? Are you, are you healthy? Or do you have some work to do? Because just like James said right here in the beginning, all of us stumble. All of us have mistakes, and it's never about being perfect. It's never about that. We can't be perfect. We can only be perfect through the blood of Jesus Christ. But we still mess up sometimes. In a few seconds, our praise team is going to come up and lead us in the song of decision. And if you've not made a decision to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to tell you, today's the day. Come on down, we'll welcome you. Hey, if you're, you're watching online, you want to get baptized, um, get a hold of the church office. We're around a lot. We'll make, we'll make whatever adjustments we can to, to fit your schedule. We'll get you baptized. Hey, if you're, if you're feeling a little rough, you feel like it's been a rough week, you want some prayers, hey, you can come on down, we'll pray with you, no judgments. If you're online, on the back of your connection card, that little number that's going through the screen frequently, if you put your prayer requests there, we do look at them, we pray about them. Um, if it's confidential, mark it. Uh, or if you're a baptized believer and you like First Christian Church, you'll be part of our family, I, I say, hey, come on down, we'll, we'll welcome you with open arms. But let's stand as we get ready to sing.
Good morning. How wonderful it is to be here. Jerry, thank you for trimming my tail too. Because when I go over sometimes, I get, does that word zealous mean anything to you? Okay. So thank you. I really liked that. Now, we approach one of the highlights, I like to think, of the service today, and that's the Lord's Supper. Communion, Eucharist, a lot of words for it. The word I want you to hold in your heart and connect you is wonderful. No, not the word wonderful, but the word joy. Joy. You should be in the midst of joy in your relationship with God Almighty, Jesus, his Son, and the Holy Spirit. I picked a, a Bible scripture that made me warm and feel joy. And I hope it does the same for you. It's Luke 15, 3 through 6. And I'm going to read to you from the NIV version. Suppose you have 100 sheep and lose one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and goes home. Think of you as that shepherd getting that lost sheep and putting it on your shoulder and you then will feel the joy that Jesus talked about in this parable. So, when you address the feeling of joy that you give by Jesus giving of his earthly life and penetrating your hearts with joy. Let us go to prayer. In the name of Jesus we pray and we lift up the feeling of joy. May joy enter all of our hearts, not only during communion today, but throughout the weeks that we pursue the love of God. May joy pursue and you pursue joy, that you echo the heart of Jesus Christ that he gives us in this parable, and we pray this prayer in Jesus' name, amen.
On the inside of your bulletin, we have announcements for today. Uh, we are going to have a singspiration tonight at 5 o'clock, and we ask if you... We ask that if you can bring sandwiches to share. Uh, the men's ministry is going to be hosting a pancake breakfast on Saturday, so we hope that you can come to that. Uh, there's a packing party on Monday for Operation Christmas Child. Uh, Jan Lang is still looking for uh, rectangular, uh, empty rectangular Kleenex boxes for a project. And then Lori Balecki's got a life group that's going to start meeting in September, and there's information about that. Uh, Jerry's still having all of his youth activities today, and Roger's group will be in the Singspiration uh, singing their lungs out tonight. Um, also, the medical team's meeting on Saturday, so we encourage you to take your bulletin home. Also, the church website, we have our calendar on there if you miss something. Uh, on the inside of your, excuse me, on the back of your bulletin, we have prayer concerns and prayers of celebration. <clears throat> we had a good time at prime time and at Narrow Path. It was a lot of fun. We love those fellowship activities. Um, we're going to go for prime time, excuse me, for prime time, we're going to go to Bright Spot in August. So I want to be looking for that. And then, as I said before, for those who want to go to our next, to our, excuse me, this is August, to our next, uh, our November, sorry, um, off-road adventure, we're going to be on narrow path, we're going to be going to the fort, so you need to make sure you can get a pass to go on the fort before that happens. In the back of the bulletin, you have a lot of, you'll see our prayer concerns. We have a lot of things going on. We got a lot of people that are uh, healing. I talked to uh, Ruth Levette the other day, and she's getting closer and closer, so she's looking forward to being back. We're praying for Peach's Pantry. We think, um, if, um, if I remember right, they have a facility. Larry? Okay, well, they're working on one, so hopefully that'll happen soon. We're also praying for the Southern Mexico mission this month. That's the mission, we're, one of the missions that we support. So we ask that you uh, take your bulletins home and be in prayer for folks. So at this time, let's stand together. I'll lead us in it. We'll have a, a time of silent prayer, and then I'll close us with a prayer, and our praise team will lead us with a song this morning. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you that we could come together this morning for this joyful time of worship. And Father, I pray that the message proclaimed to us this morning that we'll take to heart, and if we need to make adjustments in our life, we will according to your word. Father, as we live life this week, I pray that we live it with an awareness of who we are, who you are, 
and why people need you and that we will do everything we can to share the gospel message with them. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. church this morning. Have a wonderful week in the Lord, everybody. See you tonight. See you oh, all yes. tonight. Correct. And see you all tonight.